If you say in the first chapter that there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter, it absolutely must go off. If it's not going to be fired, it shouldn't be hanging there. It's wrong to make promises you don't mean to keep. Anton Chekhov. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And we went super literal with our opener this time. Very literal. We are talking today about Chekhov's gun. The opener says it all. Have a nice day. All right, selfishly at the end. <laughs> but really, we're going to get into this trope of mentioning something that never comes back, that seems important, but doesn't return. And I will caution all of you lovely pantsers out there just like me, we are really guilty of this. Yes, because you put an idea down and you're like, oh, I can totally use this later. And then you go get a cup of coffee and you write six chapters and you completely forget about that idea because you're pantsing. So you, as pantsers, need to have an editor who is aware that you're a pantser who can help you identify Chekhov's gun scenarios. What we mean by Chekhov's gun are moments that you put in there that should be used later, and a Chekhov's gun scenario being something that should be used and isn't. So like the opener said, if you have a gun mentioned on the mantle, it needs to be fired. Yes. So who is Chekhov and why does he have a gun? Chekhov is actually known as one of the world's best short story writers. So efficiency with his writing is very important and making sure that every moment has a point in the story because short stories are very difficult to do well in that they need to be clean. It's not just that they're short. He also wrote plays later in life. He's the one who advised a lot of other people, like in this quote from the beginning of the episode, was actually a letter written to somebody else going, don't do it, don't put it in there if you're not going to use it. It was something he said often enough to a myriad of people that this trope was actually named after him in that regard. So it's not just about guns. It is about more than just what goes boom. There are so many things that can be a Chekhov's gun in your story. So if you say that there is some mysterious bird in the woods making a weird noise, don't use it just to haunt the characters. It needs to play some bigger part in the story. It needs to meet your main characters. What comes to mind in Crazy Bird in the Woods is the movie Up where they mention at the beginning, oh, there's a snipe that's been eating my zealias. So go find the snipe. You have to clap three times and da-da-da. Snipe is actually another trope, by the way. They were making fun of writers in that whole thing. But then we finally got to meet the bird, Kevin. So this random errand that the old fogey sends the young kid on ends up coming back. They used that in the story in some way. And that is a faithful execution of this idea. This is a note from an editor. As you are self-editing, you need to be looking out for things that could be a Chekhov's gun. You need to be watching for things that can just be cut out because they have no real relevance to the story. That's the problem with a Chekhov's gun is that they aren't relevant. 
they act like a really poorly placed red herring. And your audience is spending time thinking about the gun. So imagine this scenario. High schooler comes by his prom date's house and dad is at the front door and meets him and says, okay, have her back by curfew. The kid notices the gun on the wall. And if that's the end of it, the audience is spending time thinking about why did the author put this gun on the mantle? Why did they point this out? Why do we notice it? They're completely distracted from the entire prom. But if you have dad answering the door, just polishing the gun, saying, have my daughter back by curfew, there's a veiled threat in there. And then we're back to focusing on the characters, back to focusing on the story, not wondering about this thing on the mantle that will never be used again. Now, if the guy brings the girl back from curfew late and shows up at the door and the dad is standing out on the porch, gun in hand, pointed at the guy, you've used the gun. You don't, It doesn't have to go boom. You've used the gun in the story. We're good. So it's coming up with these resolutions for things that get mentioned. And if it's something like a weapon, your audience is going to pay attention to it. It feels like a ticking bomb, which is why this shows up especially in action stories where, oh, this must be relevant because they put it in this story. I would say casting a wider net to almost all stories involved This also applies to naming characters. If we aren't going to meet them again after that scene, they absolutely do not need a name. Yeah. If you need to identify them from their comrades, give them a cleft chin. For the record, Hemingway disagrees. Well, Hemingway is crap, so... (laughs) And yes, keep that in there. I hate Hemingway. Right? Drunk, get it sober. It comes across in his writing. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about Hemingway. I despise his writing. It is boring. It is pointless and wandering. And that's exactly what we're trying to avoid by bringing up these tropes, is making sure the story is focused on what you want it to be focused on. Especially in this case, your audience is participating in the storytelling in a very unique way, in that they're thinking about what you're setting up. So there's a difference between what I call a foothold, something that you set up and you can use later, and a Chekhov's gun scenario. So I'm going to use an example from Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives again. I apologize. It's just a very good example in this case. A couple episodes I talked about the king and the strange things that he'd been seeing that we didn't get the full payoff on until the end of his character arc. And really, it wasn't really a payoff. (laughs) So in the first book, we saw these footholds that can honestly seem like a Chekhov's gun if there hadn't been sequels. This should never be done by a new author. Brandon Sanderson was very well established before he wrote this book, before he started writing this series. And he knew it was going to be a series. He is a plotter, so there's a lot of the structure that comes involved with what's happening in the third book in the series that he can anticipate. If you have an idea of, I will write this as a trilogy, we'll see what happens, then that is a very dangerous line to tread, especially if you're a new author and you don't have that faithful audience who's going to buy the rest of the series regardless. I will also be very frank. New authors are not good enough. 
I love you all. You are beautiful, wonderful people as new authors, and I want you to keep writing. But recognize your skill level because trying to do something like a foothold in book one that doesn't get payoff until book three is very, very difficult. And it will almost always seem like a Chekhov's gun if not done correctly. Your audience is just not established enough to agree to that contract between storyteller and audience of, I will purchase three books in your story to find out what these footholds are about. That's just really difficult for a new author to have. So these footholds, these things that if done improperly will become Chekhov's guns, are very useful in foreshadowing if done right. It's one of the best ways to get your audience thinking in a direction you want them to think. But if you're unaware that you're doing it, you're distracting your audience. And a lot of people will do this and they'll set up more than one. And they'll have like five or six of Chekhov's guns. At that point, you don't just have a gun. You have an entire armory. (laughs) You don't want an entire armory of Chekhov's guns. And the other thing to be careful of I'm speaking as an editor, putting my little editor's hat on. These things will not always be obvious. They can be hard to spot. So you need to take a step back from your writing. This is where that break that we talked about before comes in handy. Taking a step away before you go back to it to edit so you can recognize things that aren't useful, that don't drive the plot forward. Yeah, that first edit before the break you should be recognizing, oh yeah, that foothold, I meant to do something with that. Well, there's no place for it now because I'm a pantser and I went a completely different direction with the story. Then you can recognize at that point, take it out. But if you think it's good and you haven't given yourself that break, you're not doing a service to your story. This is where editing and writing differ. When you are editing, you can't be selfish about it. You have to be ruthless Remember your audience and what they're going to be looking for, what they're thinking about, because they will identify these things in your story, these Chekhov's guns that you may miss. But that's why editing is useful. You can write. Write how you want. If you end up with a Chekhov's gun in your first draft, that's okay. You can edit it out later. More important during that first draft is to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 